exciting to celebrate with our graduates this morning. And uh, so, so excited. If you got your Bibles, we are walking through the book of Acts. And uh, this morning we will be in Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, that is where we are going to be. And so a major event in the life of these students. And um, even for uh, some of us in the room, kind of thinking back to what a big moment that was for us in our lives and how in a lot of ways it's a defining moment uh, as you uh, move forward, kind of new chapter, new season. And so, so excited for you all. And it is possible that in this uh, big event that you will somewhere along the way maybe get a gift or a few gifts. And so like gifts are a good thing, right? Uh, I've never met anybody who doesn't like a gift. Some people are a little uncomfortable getting gifts, but like deep down inside, like gifts are fun and good. And I'm thinking we all like to get them some way, somewhere along the way. Uh, and so when we think gifts, we often think of, of good things. We think of things that maybe we want, things we like, uh, maybe a gift card cash comes in all kinds of different ways. But I wonder how many of us would, 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 would think about gifts and, and how many of us would say an interruption is a gift? An interruption is a gift. I want you to think about that. I'm thinking probably nobody. <laughs> nobody likes to be interrupted. It's a, it's a hassle. It's a burden. Um, we like to kind of go about our conversations without interruptions. We like to go about our projects without interruptions. We like to go about our tasks without interruptions. We like to pursue whatever it is we're pursuing without interruptions. And when that interruption comes, we're probably not walking around like being super excited that we were just interrupted. And what we see in the text today in Acts chapter 9 is exactly an interruption. And it is, it is a divine interruption. And, and just as this moment with these graduates, this is a major event. We are going to look in the Bible at a major event that we in this room are feeling the ripple effect of centuries later. And, and, and what we're going to see is this was a man who it was just as far as he's concerned, a, a, a normal day in which he was setting about a very intense purpose that we're going to look at and dig into. But along the way, there was a divine interruption. And it could be that you are in the room this morning, maybe listening in online, and you perhaps find yourself in the middle of an interruption, something you didn't plan for, something you didn't ask for, something that is in a lot of ways, it's complicating a lot of other things that are going on in your life. A interruption is happening. In, in Acts chapter 9, we see a divine interruption. But it's a divine interruption that God has orchestrated in such a way that this interruption is going to be an instrument of His grace into this brother's life that we're going to read about. And it's this encouragement for us. That in these interruptions, and they will come, and they will come often. That it's in those interruptions that these are opportunities 
where God desires to make His grace known to us in ways that maybe we may not experience any other way. That we know that based on God's Word, Romans 8 says that God works all things together for the good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. That is an amazing scripture to cling to. And it's a scripture we cling to oftentimes when there is an interruption. And that interruption shakes us. And that interruption rattles us. And it's that interruption that we know God is faithful. We know God is good. But we need to cling to his word. And we know that he wants to work through it. And often through these circumstances and events that we learn about what we just sang about a moment ago. That we can sing amazing grace because it was in the midst of this divine interruption that we didn't ask for or invite in, that we experience His grace and His care in a way that may not be found any other way. And so, in this divine interruption, in this text, we're going to see three gifts, three gifts that come through this testimony in scripture testimony is powerful everybody's testimony is powerful if you're here and there's been a time in your place uh, a time and a place in your life where you have acknowledged your need for Jesus and your brokenness and you've repented and you've turned to Jesus to be Lord of your life he has saved you he has rescued you that you have a powerful testimony every testimony is powerful some are more I'd say louder and maybe more radical from the outsider looking in like we're going to see today. And then some maybe a little quieter, maybe some a little bit more behind the scenes. I know that's that's my testimony. I mean, I was 10 years old. I've shared this before, but I was on my way. I was at church. The pastor said amen, and I made a beeline for the gym because that's what we did when we went to church. As soon as preacher says amen, we're gone. We're gone because we're going to play ball. And an 8th grader named Stephen Howe interrupted me. Like I jumped up and I was going to play ball. And this 8th grader interrupted my pursuit of a going to play basketball. And he asked me this question. He said, do you want to be saved? This 8th grader asking a 4th grader. And this divine interruption God used in an incredible way in my life. And so you see some loud and radical. You see some that are a little quieter. But every testimony is important. Every testimony is worthy of celebrating. And in today's passage, this is a radical conversion. A radical. We are going to see a terrorist become a missionary. In this passage, we are going to see a murderer and a persecutor of Christians, believers, become a preacher. We're going to see a man who hated Jesus. And yet, in this divine interruption, radically transform his life saves his life, and this brother becomes this this incredible, full of the Holy Spirit, church planter, sharer of the gospel, writes three quarters of the New Testament. This brother that we're reading reading about this morning is the least likely person you think would begin a relationship with Jesus. He is far from God as some would look at and define, but there is no one that is outside the reach of God's grace. Amen? There is nobody outside of the reach of God's grace. And so today, we will be reminded and see in this picture that in divine interruptions, one of the God's gracious gifts is the gift of salvation. 
we are first introduced to a guy named Saul in Acts chapter 7. Towards the end of the chapter, we read about it a few weeks ago, we're in the, it's the first martyrdom of Christianity. Stephen is being martyred, he's being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7 verse 58. The Bible says that when they cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. In other words, they're stoning Stephen. They take their garments off, lay them at his feet so that they can have a better throwing arm at Stephen. And if you roll into Acts chapter 8, the first few verses there, the Bible says that Saul approved of his execution. And that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is Saul. This is the zealous Pharisee. This is the man whose passion in life was to protect his religion, Judaism, and to end Christianity or those in the way. And so in Acts chapter 9, we're going to walk through the first uh, half of this chapter. But we're going to, we were introduced to Saul. We're going to continue to see this testimony of a changed life. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, but Saul... Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This brother is breathing threats and murder. An image of a fire-breathing dragon comes into mind. You just see the the, the fire breathe in, breathe out. Saul's heartbeat was one of threat and murder to all Christians. This was his breath. This was his mission. He was not content as a Pharisee leader, zealous to keep his persecution bound to the city limits of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Rather, he wanted to get in front of this movement called the way and to end it and to stop it. Matter of fact, so much so that he gets letters from the high priest and makes a journey to Damascus, which is 160 miles away from Jerusalem. By foot, it's going to take about two weeks. And so his passion and his purpose is to go and to see to it that Judaism remains unstained and end This gospel movement. And then the Bible says in verse 3 of Acts 9. It says now as he went on his way he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground he heard a voice saying to him. Saul, Saul why, why are you persecuting me? And he said who are you Lord? And he said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I love the word suddenly. The word suddenly is exactly what it says. Suddenly. We have all experienced those interruptions in life and just about every single one of them happen suddenly. 
There was no heads up. There was no, hey, Saul, by the way, when you're on the way to Damascus, just so you know, you are going to be absolutely blown away by the glory of God, so much so that you are going to be driven to the ground by His glory. And your life is never going to be the same. And the life that you spent trying to end this gospel movement, you will actually be the leader of the gospel movement. But there was no, no heads up. There was no, it was all sudden. And in that moment, when Saul was blinded by the glory of God and he meets King Jesus on this Damascus road, two things happen in an instant. Number one, this brother who in his mind thought Jesus was just a man. He thought Jesus was just a man. He saw Jesus as a hindrance. He saw Jesus as somebody in the way. He saw Jesus as somebody trying to come in and hijack the Jewish faith. Jesus was an enemy to, to Saul. And, and his mission is to end it. And in this moment, he realizes that Jesus is real. He realizes that Jesus of Nazareth is the red, resurrected king. And he intervenes and he he imposes his presence on the, the soon-to-be Apostle Paul and now Saul, and he's blown away. And here is a red flag of warning, is that for Saul, he was sincere in what he believed. I would say, I think all of us agree, he was sincere in his pursuit of Judaism, but he was sincerely wrong. And it's a, it's a sad reality that there are many people who seek peace, seek forgiveness, and seek a relationship with God in all of these avenues other than the only one way, and that is Jesus. And he was sincerely, sincerely wrong. He understood that Jesus of Nazareth was the resurrected king. And secondly was this, Jesus said this, he's like, why are you persecuting me? We see in this text one of the most beautiful pictures of the church, and that is the body of Christ. As far as we know, I don't know if Saul ever had an interaction with Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if he was there at the cross. I don't know where he was at. But what we do know is this, is that when there is persecution upon the church, there is persecution upon Christ and what Paul realizes right now is you mess with the church you mess with Jesus you mess with the church you mess with Jesus it goes on to say in verse 6 but rise but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do and the men who were traveling with him stood speechless and hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor he drank. And verse 10 says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Incredible story. The glory of the Lord overwhelms this Pharisee zealous ruler trying to stop and end Christianity and has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Through repentance and faith, receives Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. And verse 10, I love this. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
Paul was doing everything he could to get in front of the gospel. He was doing everything he could to shut it down, to outpace the gospel. But the beauty is there was already a group of believers there. Ananias was already there, already gathering as the early church. Don't know when he became a believer, but we know the church was already there. It was already there. The Bible says in verse 10, the Lord said to him, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Incredible. He was on his back, overwhelmed by the glory of God. And now he's on his knees. He's praying. Verse 12, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now we read this and and what Ananias is basically saying is this, God, you do not know what you're doing. God, you don't, you don't know. Do you know who this is? Do you understand what you're asking me to do? Do you understand what you're asking me to become involved in? And it's easy for us to look at the text and be like, man, that's not going to end well. Like, you just need to go with God. You need to obey Him. You need to honor Him. It's going to work out best. It's the least of past resistance, trust me. But, but, but how many times have we in our lives found our place or found ourselves in these places where we're, we're like, God, do you know what you're doing? Do you see the brokenness that I'm in right now? Do you see the pain? Do you see everything that's happening? Do you, do you understand God? And this is what Ananias is saying in verse 15. It says, but the Lord said to him, go. I love that. In other words, he's like, just trust me. Just trust me. As believers, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. And when God calls us to step into, whether it's an area of obedience in our lives, that we are like, God, really? Or are you sure? Or I don't know. God says, go. Trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. He says, go for he, talking about Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and he was taken food and he was strengthened. He was strengthened. Immediately he's like, I need to be baptized. Like he, he, he has been rescued by the grace of God. This area of obedience is life. It wasn't a question. The scales are off. Where's the water? Let's do this. He is ready to be identified with the Lord. And what I'm amazed at in this story is that God could have done this a million different ways. 
If you open your Bible to Genesis and you read verse 1, you see in the beginning was God and God created. That when you read through that creation account, it's almost like the stars are an afterthought. But yet with just breath and a word, they're there. Like God could have, could have on the Damascus Road just taken the scales off and, and just kind of made it a personal thing. But Jesus loves using people. He loves using people. He didn't have to use Ananias. He wanted to use Ananias. He wants to use his people to minister to other people. He wants to use everybody in moving the mission forward. And so God taps the shoulder of Ananias and says, I want to use you. To which I would say the Holy Spirit is tapping our shoulders today as the church. And he is saying, I want to use you. And you say, yeah, but God, no, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use everyone in moving the mission forward because Jesus loves using people. He loves using the one to impact the one that I'm convinced that God wants to use us. He wants to use us to reach the relative that he loves so much and wants them to know the loving grace of God. He wants that child. He wants to use you to share the gospel with that child. He wants to use you to share the gospel with that supervisor or that boss that you have. He wants to use you to share the gospel with that coworker that you may have that's been, they've been a burden on your heart. You, you, you've been praying for them. You're concerned for them. You don't know where they're at spiritually. He wants to use you. He wants to use you potentially to reach the coach that you play for. Or the coach that your kids play for. He wants to use you to reach the teacher that you're going to have in class. Or that you've had in class. Or that teacher that you know is teaching your kids. He wants to use you in whatever classroom you may find yourself in. And there's going to be people there. And there's going to be people who need Jesus. And he wants to use you to share Jesus with them. And so in this divine interruption. This has served as an instrument. An instrument of God's grace and oftentimes uses believers just like you and just like me every day brothers and sisters to be an instrument of his grace in the lives of people who need him and Paul formerly Saul was radically saved and if there was ever somebody that was far from God this was the brother and this changes the way we read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 it's a verse perhaps you've hidden in your heart. But think about it through the perspective of a zealous Pharisee seeking to end Christianity. Grab, grab men, grab women, bind them, bring them to Jerusalem in this thing. And here's what, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Can't you just picture him saying, trust me. Trust me, I'm speaking from experience. He says, you've been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Paul's saying, hey, listen, he's like, you know those, perhaps those reasons that you keep sharing that, well, I know I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I know I need to do that. I know that's the right thing to do. But I just got to clean myself up. I got I to gotta get some things right. Listen, 
This brother was on his way with papers to end this thing. And he was going to seek to arrest those of the way, but instead gets arrested by the grace of God and radically changes his life. And in this conversion, we see that salvation is a grace gift from God. We see that salvation only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, that God gives us the power of his Holy Spirit, that he gives every believer with a new purpose. And he also brings you into a new family. I love it. Another one of the gifts that we see in this text is God's gracious gift of community. We need each other. We need each other. Back in verse 17, Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, and this blows my mind, brother Saul. Okay, like let's just pretend you're going to somebody's house to God told you to pray over and he's been trying to kill everybody in your family. He's been trying to kill everybody that you know that you worship with. This is why he has come to your town. And yet this brother goes in and by the grace of God, lays his hands to pray on him and calls this former terrorist a brother. What grace. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, speaking of Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is why in church world, I see it here, especially in the South, but brother, brother and sister like, Brother this, sister that. Like, it's family. It's because we're a family. It's a beautiful picture of family. Because we need the family. We need each other. Like, this life was never meant for us to live as a Lone Ranger believer. Never meant to kind of just stay in our lane and and leave everybody else and just kind of walk through life. God's design is for community. We need each other. We need each other. One of the reasons we need each other is because you and I will go through suffering in this life. It's going to look a lot of different ways. Even for Saul, God told Ananias back in verse 16, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my sake. In this case, it's Christian persecution. But suffering comes in all shapes and sizes. And so we need each other. We need each other. I wonder how many people in the room this morning are listening in, maybe listening online, and you're suffering in silence. That God has made us for one another. Perhaps even you feel crushed. Perhaps you feel overwhelmed. And yet we are designed for community with one another. Christianity is a group project. I asked the 8 o'clock service earlier, I was like, who likes a group project? Anybody? Any takers? Group project? How many would just rather do it on your own? All right. Because you're nervous, right? You don't know. You know what you can do, but you don't know what other... Listen, Christianity, group project. We need each other. We need each other. Ananias knew it. Paul embraced it. And there was no doubt. Can you imagine what church was like the next time? Can you imagine Ananias going to church... (laughs) Saul comes with him. They walk in the room and they're like, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Saul. <laughs> and they're like, what? This is Saul. And, and, but but that's, that's the beauty of community. You work through the messy stuff. 
you work through the messy stuff, and it was messy. It was messy. And so the scripture continues in verse 19 for some days. He was with the disciples there at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul radically saved, immediately is baptized, and he's immediately telling other people about Christ. The Bible says in verse 23, when many days had passed. And if you're a note taker, I would just tell you to write there on the edge, write Galatians 1, verses 11 through 18. We don't have the time to run over there. But what we'll see is this, when many days has passed, is actually about a three-year period in which the Lord led Saul, now Paul, into the Arabian desert for three years. For three years. And, and to which I think from, from that we understand that there are some things that God can only teach us in the desert. There are some of those biggest, toughest lessons and learning God's grace that come in the desert, that don't come any other way. And so for, for Saul, he was led to Arabia. He got a desert degree. Some students are headed towards college. You're going for a college degree. Saul got a desert degree. And so did Moses. Moses got a desert degree. The people of Israel wandering in the wilderness, they got a desert degree. You learn a lot in the desert. But yet this was necessary for God to form and prepare this brother for the journey that he had ahead of him. And so he's back now at Damascus when many days has passed. The Jews plotted to kill him, verse 24. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. He came headed into Damascus to end Christianity and now he's being lowered in the middle of the night in a basket on mission for God. And this is just another testimony that community is messy. It's messy. It doesn't keep business hours. It's not like, okay, tough stuff's going to happen between 8 and 5 p.m. and then, and then we just go and we rest. No, it, it often happens in the most random of times. And yet here are these brothers committed to their new brother, Paul, and they are lowering this brother in a basket under the cover of night so he won't be killed. In verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he is back. And man, has he ever changed. He's back at Jerusalem. He attempted, verse 26 says, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, praise God for the Barnabases. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord for Barnabases. He's, he's known as the son of encouragement. We all need Barnabases in our life. 
We need a church full, faith family full of Barnabases. Somebody who will say, I know this is messy. And I know like he's a work in progress. And I know this brother's got a long way to go. But here was Barnabas taking him in. And the Bible says that he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. And so he was brought into this family. Brought in, loved on, cared for. In verse 29, I'll wrap up here, these last couple of verses. It says, and he, this is Saul, now Paul, he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea, and they sent him off to Tarsus, his hometown. And the Bible says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied. It's almost like a summary verse before we head into our next passage next week. But we talked about gifts, divine interruptions. You don't ask them, don't invite them. They happen, they're real. You feel them. Sometimes they hurt, they're painful. You don't know how it's all going to work out. There's lots of blanks to be filled in, lots of eyes to be dotted, lots of T's to be crossed, but yet we trust the Lord. We trust the Lord. We trust the Lord. In these times, we experience for many in an interruption is when you receive Jesus. I know it was for me. It was an interruption. It was an interruption for Paul. It was an interruption. Our interruptions looked way different, <laughs> but, but it was interruption nonetheless. I had my plan. I had my thing, and I, God used it to, to stop and communicate His grace. We learn in interruptions that we need community. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. And we see here that another gift that we experience is the gracious gift of peace and purpose. That this purpose is way bigger than ourselves. For every believer, you are gifted with a new purpose. And that purpose is to live for the glory of God and for the mission of God. That's, that's his purpose. And the peace that was experienced in this time. It says that there was peace enjoyed by everybody. Don't, this isn't talking about like there's no more persecution. The persecution continues. Like there's not a period on that and finally everybody stopped trying to persecute Christians. No, it continued. The message is that there is peace even in the persecution. That this is why James can say over there in that little letter towards the back of the Bible, he says, consider it joy. Consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Because, why? Because there is peace in the midst of the interruption. And God oftentimes will teach us about His grace and His love and His care in ways we could never experience unless it was through an interruption. And so for, for Saul of Tarsus, he spent three years getting the desert degree. Now he's being shipped off back to home in Tarsus. He'll be there for probably about seven years. So we're going to see him again in a couple chapters, but we're going to see him about seven years later. So even looking at like his preparation was like 10 years. Didn't stop him from sharing the gospel and fulfilling what God had for him, but there was a time of preparation. And he needed that. And we're going to see it again when Barnabas goes up and he snags him and they head to Antioch. And, and, and the ministry begins like none other that we'll see in just a few moments. But there was this preparation 
this preparation. But in Paul's life, we see this brother whose purpose is the same as ours. That he was passionate to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And it was all by God's grace. And so as we look at this text, and we look at how this text applies to our life, a couple ways that I would encourage us to consider. And I believe this to be true, and maybe you might agree, and it's this, that probably the hardest thing in the world is to come to a place in your soul, in your spirit, when you accept an interruption that you did not ask for. There's a, there's a process of emotion that is real when you experience trauma of any kind. Typically moves from shock to is this even real, to denial, to bargaining, shoulda, woulda, if I only, if only this... And then it ends out in depression. And by God's grace, he is, he is big and strong enough to rescue anybody from any pit. Nobody is beyond the grace of God. But where it changes is by God's grace. Not saying, I like it or we like it, but we accept it. And we, we accept it in the perspective that God, I need you now more than I ever have. And that in this season, I need to lean on your grace in ways maybe I never have before. And I need to experience your presence in ways I never have before. And that all through it, man, God is working. He sees this big picture. And so the encouragement is this. If you are in the room and you are struggling, if you're listening in online and you're struggling, the encouragement is God is at work. And God's desire to be to bring comfort and peace and grace and every need to carry you along that God is desiring to guide and lead you and great things for His glory are ahead. And it could be that you are in that walking through a lingering, challenging, and even exhausting, exhausting interruption. And that it could be that in the midst of this, God is desiring to reveal Himself in a way and, and support you in a way and lead you in a way and comfort you in a way and grace you in a way that could come no other way. God desires to comfort and guide you in the midst of the interruption. And another encouragement would be is that perhaps, perhaps you are walking through something alone. Even those closest to you may not even realize what's going on. And you got this thing tucked away. And for whatever reason, just kind of keep pushing it back and pushing it back. And the reality is, if truth be told, you're struggling. You're struggling. And so let this be an encouragement, this text, that we need each other. We need the family. We need the body of Christ. We need an Ananias to come up and say, brother. We need a Barnabas to say, come on in. We need each other as we walk through these times. And so the encouragement is one of God's greatest gifts is the body of Christ. We need that community. And the last thing I would say is that there can be peace in the midst of chaos. Persecution continued. The church multiplied. But the church had peace. They had peace because they had a relationship with the Prince of Peace. So for 
for Saul, maybe you kind of relate to him, not in the sense that you have sandals and you're walking on a very long road and you're trying to end Christianity. <laughs> you can't, you're not relating to him in that way, but here's how you are relating to him. Your life has been completely focused on something or something that ultimately will never bring satisfaction to your life. It never will. It could be that you have been attempting to, to live out this life in your own strength, every step of the way. So much so that whatever it is, whether it's a divine interruption or perhaps even God's gospel message to you today, is this reminder is that this interruption is an opportunity to encourage you that God sees you, that God knows you, that God loves you, and that He desires a relationship with you. And there's no need to try and go and clean yourself up. It's just simply embrace God's grace and gift of salvation through repentance and faith. And so again, this message is to you who may be there, who's going about this thing all in your own strength. God loves you. And divine interventions are often instruments of God's grace. And I would even just say to the students as we're wrapping up, like in my brain, like I had my plan and it was an awesome plan. Like I had a, I was going to be an insurance agent and it was going to be called the Brooks Agency. And, and I was going to go to Ole Miss and or went to Northeast first down in Boonville, went to Ole Miss, graduated, went and worked at an insurance uh, company in Atlanta because I'm like, I'm going to learn all the ins and outs so I can be like this insurance expert and, and finally got to move back home to Corinth where I grew up to start what would one day be the Brooks Agency. And let me just say, divine interruption. <laughs> I'm not an insurance agent anymore. Now, I don't say that to scare you and make you think you're going to be a pastor or anything like that. But I just say this to say, I'm looking at Pastor Michael. You, you had a divine interruption, didn't you? And he's going to work at CVS for years pursuing pharmacy. He's a pastor now. And so again, I don't say, all I say, all I say is this, is be sensitive to those interruptions and know that God doesn't waste anything and he wants to use it for his glory and for his mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your care. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you as hard as it is for divine interruptions. Thank you for those thin moments where we have perhaps find our place like Saul on our backs. Not knowing what to do, where to go, what's next. But Father, in your grace and in your care and in your love, you are working in the interruption. It's all going to make sense eventually. Maybe it doesn't make sense right now. But in this, as believers, we rejoice in our salvation. And in this interruption, we link arms with community. We don't try this Lone Ranger stuff. And that in the interruption, we experience your peace. And that we live with great purpose. God, you've rescued us for purpose. For your glory, for your mission. And God, for anybody who's here today... He would say, you know what? I do not have a relationship with you. God, I pray today would be the day of salvation. God, that today would be the day where 
where there's a realization and an understanding of our sin, anything we think, say, or do that hurts the heart of God, our sin separates us from you. But in your grace, God, you extend through repentance a changing of mind about our sin, a changing of direction, and turning to you and believing that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, that you did live a perfect life that we could never live, that you were crucified on a cross to pay the price for our sin, that you were placed in a tomb and that you resurrected from the dead to give life and life to the full. And so today I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, today would be the day of repentance and faith. God, we love you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna, we're gonna have a time of, of reflection, response, We'll have pastors here. If, if you would just want somebody to pray over you, it would be our privilege to pray over you. If you want to come to the altar, come and pray, come and pray. Make your chair there an altar, whatever, but just be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit desires to lead this time. Let's praise the Lord.